I like to worship every Sunday. However, all those songs are my favorite. You know what I mean? You're supposed to have a favorite? Well, all those hit this time. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. And also, too, as I mentioned earlier, we are missing some of our uh, praise team this morning. I want to say thank you to Mr. Marks, who drove in from San Antonio to play bass for us this morning. He's done a lot for us here in the church with our sound system and things of that nature. So I praise God for that. And he gives God all the glory. I'm just calling him out just to embarrassing back there. <laughs> Amen. I can't embarrass. Oh, okay. I, I, I want us to start off this morning. Many of you may remember the televangelists, at least if you're my age, you may remember that we don't have it. Oh, the one time I needed the internet in here on Sunday morning. We're going to have to talk to those office people messing up our internet. Or the electrician. That has nothing to do with the internet. There's power. Anyway, um, well, I was going to have you watch a video this morning. And uh, I guess what I can do is have you go look at it later. But let me just kind of... In the video... The televangelist, if you're wondering what he's doing now, I was going to let you see what he's doing. 
for about three minutes, but it's, he's preaching, he calls himself a pastor, but what he was preaching was this goo, this weird food for the end times, if you will, and then you can reuse the bucket to let that stuff go, if you know what I mean. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really, in fact, I was going to warn you for the next three minutes, plug your ears if you didn't want to hear it, type video. But it, it just showed the, the, the silliness sometimes of what we are doing when we start worrying about the end days, the second coming of Christ. Now, this man calls himself a pastor, but this is how he prepares himself and how he's teaching others to prepare himself is by going and just making this buckets of nasty. And I wish you could have seen the video. It's just unbelievable. But I thought it was a good illustration of a lot of what's going out there into the world today. The topic of the second coming of Jesus has become a point of a lot of controversy. And not just outside the church, but within the church. There's a lot of controversy as to what it actually means and what we should be doing. Many people have made millions of dollars about speculating what it's going to be like at the end times. They've written books, they've made videos, and they've done all kinds of this, that, and the other to try to capitalize upon the second coming of Christ. And to be quite honest with you, many of these books and many of these videos are absolutely insane, much less biblically interpreted. They are just so far from what we as Christians have been called to do and to look forward to with the second coming of Christ. Now, I will say that there have been many folks that have been brought to the foot of the cross by the teachings of the second coming of Christ, by the preachings of people about the second coming of Christ. But I would also submit to you that there are many others who have been sadly led astray. There are many others who have been pulled to the wayside or pushed completely out of the church or pushed completely out of biblical interpretation and understanding of what the scripture says by much of the stuff that goes forth. So today, I want us to look at three different camps, if we will, uh, regarding Jesus' second coming. So I'm going to make a little pup tense here. The first camp we're going to call the hogwash camp. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. And then the second camp we're going to call the freaking out camp. Right there. And then the third camp, we're going to call the, the ready and waiting camp. Right there. So we've got three different camps. In 2 Peter chapter 3, I want us to look this morning, starting in verse 3. We're also going to be in Matthew 24 and possibly Luke 21. I doubt if we'll read all of Luke 21. But Matt, 2 Peter chapter 3 and Matthew 24. But right here in 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 3, it says, First be aware of the scoffers. Excuse me. First be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days to scoff, following their own lusts, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. They willingly ignore this, kind of like Pat was alluding to earlier in his, in his scripture reading. They willfully ignore this. Long ago, the heavens and the earth existed out of water and through water by the word of God. Through these, the world of the time perished when it was flooded by water. But by the same word, the present heavens and earth are held in store for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years 
and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and on that day heavens will pass away, and with a loud noise the elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and its works on it will be dissolved. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for and earnestly desire the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be on fire and be dissolved and the elements will melt with the heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness shall dwell. Now, when we look at camp one, there, there, there's the passage of scripture I want to run off of for, for just a moment. In camp one, I call this the hogwash camp. And I use a, a DVD case because most of the things that come out of Hollywood is hogwash. And I thought that's a good representation. But in the hogwash camp, if you notice there in verse three and four, it says, first be aware of this. Uh, excuse me, first be aware of this. Uh, scoffers will come in the last days to scoff following their own lust, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they've always been since the beginning of creation. This camp's argument, the hogwash camp I'm speaking of right now, this camp's argument is kind of like what Pat was saying just a moment ago. If Jesus was really going to come, he would have already came by now. If Jesus was real, then he would already be here. So they choose to believe that the, that, that the second coming of Christ is just a sham, a bunch of hogwash. They don't want to believe all the, the truth in there. And, and since they have nothing to look forward to, since they have no hope of glory, since they have no hope of redemption, since they have no hope of eternity, they say, well, then we should just stop right now and live the, our lives trying to satisfy the, the lusts of our flesh, the lusts of our desire. The folks of the hogwash camp will go out of their way to seek out opportunities for the temporal, for the right here and now, to, to make themselves feel good now because they don't want to believe the things that are obvious. They don't want to believe the things of the past, so they're only going to live in the moment and say, oh, all that religious stuff is just made up, so I can't go out and have fun. So I can't go out and do what I want to do right now. So I can't go out and be what I want to be. She's not bothering me, baby, if, you, if it don't bother you. We, the, those folks within the hogwash camp, are those same people that Pat was speaking of just a moment ago. But notice what it says in verse 5. They willfully ignore this. Long ago, the heavens and the earth existed out of water, and through water by the word of God. Through these, the world of the time perished when it was flooded by water. But the same word, the present heavens and earth, are held in store for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. They choose, they willingly choose or decide, if you will, to ignore the facts of history. They choose to make their own viewpoint, their own worldview. They don't want to look at what can be proven. They don't want to look at the, th the history that's been brought forth. They don't want to, to, to mess up their now by looking at their history, which may de de determine their future. They only want to look right now. They don't want to look at, at how God is a, an all-powerful God and how that he is trustworthy and that he has judged the world in the past. And if he has judged the world in the past, which scientifically we can show many of the things that the scriptures say is to be true, if they don't want to accept those things, 
then they don't have to believe that he's coming later, which not only do they say the religion is hogwash, but their own mentality, obviously, is hogwash. Now look at verse 8. It says, Dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you with the Lord. One day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The people of the hogwash camp are always going around and, and they're saying, you know, um, why would God come and do it again? Why would, how much worse can it get here? You know, why would God want to return here? If he hasn't come already, what makes you think he's going to come now? Folks, God is not bound by time. Time does not mean anything to God. God designed time for you and I. It is a, God, God constructed it for our man's purpose. It is a philosophical term in many ways. But God designed time for us. He is not bound for, by it. He can, he, he can stop and take as much time as he wants, and it's still the same as if it was yesterday. To God, time has no bearing whatsoever. So one may ask, well, why would God take his time in returning to the earth and call his people home if he knows that time means something to us. Because God loves us. Look what he says in verse 9. The Lord does not delay his promises. Some understand delay. Some people think, well, he's just waiting to wait. He likes watching what's going on. People will say, well, you know, he's just maybe not coming back. There are those who believe that he created and then left us all on our own. But what does the scripture say? It says that it goes on there, but it's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Hallelujah. God is delaying his coming, not because he wasn't real like the hogwash camp would have you believe. He's delaying his coming because he desires to give time so that everyone has the opportunity to stop and choose life before it's too late. He is delaying his coming so that everyone has the opportunity to accept him and have everlasting life. He is delaying his coming so that all can hear the gospel and make a decision. Well, if I serve a loving God, if God is real, why would he ever send somebody to hell? This hogwash group would say, well, if God is real and he's a God of love, he wouldn't want to do that to his people. And you're absolutely right. That is true. That's why he says he's giving you more time because he desires that none should perish. But yet, it's your choice, not his. It is not he that is choosing or deciding where you shall spend eternity. It is you, and he's giving you time because, and me because of our stubbornness, of our wanting to argue and rationalize. He is going out of his way to give us time to make that decision before it's too late. Because he loves us. Now, here's an important thing we need to notice, too. But he's given us that time, and he's making that time, and he desires that none should perish, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's going to come. The important thing we need to understand here is God will not always wait. He is going to come again, and when he comes, he's going to catch all those in the hogwash camp completely off guard. All those people who chose to, to live their life the way they decided to live it and chose not to make God their Lord and their Savior. All those people who chose to, to try to live in the moment and live in their lust of their flesh and to live into what brings them pleasure rather than seeking out God and His righteousness and His kingdom. When He does come, the choice has been made whether they like it or not. The decision's already been laid out there. God's not always going to wait. 
Now, what about the second camp? I call this one the freak-out camp, a.k.a. the newspaper camp, if you will. The newspaper watchers, the 24-hour news cycle watchers. You may say, well, I don't read newspapers. I'm good. If you're glued to CNN or, or Fox or the, the religious channel, whatever it is, if you're glued to every news channel all the time, this may include you. These are the people who, 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 who are going out of their way to watch what's happening next. Turn to Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, starting in verse 4, I want us to look this morning at what I believe to be one of the most poorly quoted passages of Scripture there is today. Or at least used in the most inadequate way to try to prove points today. In Matthew 24, starting at verse 4, Then Jesus replied to them, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, because these things must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginnings of birth pains. Then they will hand you over for persecution, and they will kill you, and you will be hated by all the nations because of my name. Then many will take, uh, then many will take offense, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, because lawlessness will multiply. The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be delivered. Now, we read that passage of Scripture. That's a passage we hear oftentimes quoted by people, especially those that are in that second camp, especially those that are in that freak-out camp, if you will. The people in this camp seem pretty, primarily nothing but problems. They think since the world is, is, is filled with all the problems that are listed in this chapter, because they can turn on the news and they can find earthquakes, they can find tsunamis, they can find war and rumors of war, then Jesus must be coming today. Jesus must be coming right now, or he's coming tomorrow. And they watch the news, and with each cycle of news, with each new report, they get a little more amped up and a little more scared. And all these signs are being fulfilled. And they start saying, how much worse can it get? God's coming now. Now, there's a huge problem here, and that sounds good. Yes, that's showing that it's coming to that time. But here's the problem with folks who live in this camp. They live their life in a fashion where they are always on edge. They're stressed out and, and just, just continually just watching the news, being glued to the news. And this oftentimes causes a mad race to be prepared, a mad race to, 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 to tie up all the loose ends of their lives with each new news cycle. But what happens when the disaster comes and the disaster is over and Jesus didn't come? Those people within this camp, when, when they see the next news cycle, there's another earthquake, there's another tsunami, there's another war, there's another rumor of war. I'm going to run out and I'm going to get everything tied up. I'm going to go buy my goo that was like in that video. I'm going to go buy this, I'm going to buy that, and I'm going to get ready because this is the time. But then all of a sudden Jesus doesn't come then. They go back to life as normal, or in many instances, worse than normal, because they've burned out themselves so much on each one of the news cycles that they start to move over into camp one. They start thinking, you know, maybe it's not real. Maybe he's not going to come back. And some people will go out there and they will spend 
tremendous amounts of money and, and time getting ready. Tremendous amounts of money and time just to, to try to get ready for the next calamity, for the next tragedy. Why do we continually do that? Why is that? Why do we continually focus on those things and keep getting further and further from God in the process? Because it's impossible for you and I to live at such a constant fevered pace. That's not what God intended for us. He didn't design us to live a life of fear, always scared of when he's going to return. He didn't design us to be afraid of the earthquakes and the tsunamis and the wars and the rumors of wars. That's not what he intended. That's not what he desired for you and I. We are to stop and say, God, here I am. Where are you? We are seeking your face. But those in the freakout camp, they go out and they buy land out in the country and, and stockpile all their, their necessities in life, all the while keeping one eye on the newspaper, one eye on the 24-hour news cycle, one eye on the, where's the next earthquake? Where's the next tsunami? Forgetting that God has called each and every one of us, you, me, every one of us, to a great commission to go and share the gospel. He didn't tell us to watch the newspapers and the 24-hour news cycles and, and get amped up every time there's another tragedy. He didn't tell us to get amped up every time there's another earthquake. He didn't tell us to get amped up and, and, and go into hiding every time there's another rumor of war. He said, go ye therefore and share the gospel. The problem with the, the freakout camp is that they tend to trust in themselves to get through the end times and get into heaven. They're trusting in their own prep, preparedness. They're trusting in their own food supply. They're trusting in the bunkers that they have built. They're trusting in their own teachings of what the scripture says. When in reality, they're not to be focusing on the world's problems. They're supposed to be focusing on God. And then when we are focusing on Christ, we know that it's Christ who's going to bring us through, not my food supply. When we recognize that I'm supposed to be focusing on Christ, I'm not going to worry about every earthquake and every tsunami and every war and rumor of war. I'm going to take them for what they are. The warning signs that Christ is coming is getting near, and that means I should be out and about more, not hiding, sharing the gospel message. Not getting more and more freaked out with each turning of the page. In fact, this one here um, shows dead livestock on the front. Very front page, dead animals. You know, that's sad. I feel bad for the landowner there. But that doesn't mean I'm going to go hide in the corner and say UFOs are coming and eating my livestock. <laughs> it's not about chasing each calamity. It's not about focusing on CNN and Fox News. I'm not saying not watching the news that you shouldn't watch news periodically. But if you find yourself glued to it and getting amped up every time you hear about another war, rumor of war, tsunami, earthquake, asteroid coming, UFOs invading, whatever it may be, that's the freak out camp. And that's not where God's called us to be. Now, while the Bible does tell us to watch, and there are people who will probably come to me, either internet or, or maybe even one of you guys that are going to say, but the Bible says to watch. It does. But don't stop there. It says to watch and pray. In other words, yes, I can see what's happening. But it doesn't say run and stick my head in the sand. It says seek out God's face. And what would you have me to do? We are not to be watching out for all the bad things in the world. We should be watching out how are we called to walk with God. Where and what am I supposed to do to walk with God? What's God's response to that? Look at verse 6 there again. It says you are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not 
alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. Yeah, listen, see them, it's coming. But don't be alarmed about it. This verse clearly states, it clearly means that they are the signs of the end that is coming. It is nearing the end, not that it's happening today. I don't know when it's going to happen. They're saying, how much worse can it get? I don't know. Look at verse 8. All these events are the beginning of birth pains, the disasters, the tsunamis, the earthquakes, the wars, the rumors of wars. These are all predicted and they are the beginning of sorrows, as some of your translation says. The word actually translated Odinese there means birth pains. These things are going to happen. Now, ladies, you could probably testify better than I can, but birth pains, when you're giving birth, get closer together and they grow in magnitude, but then a new life comes into being. It's the same here, just as you wouldn't freak out with your first birth pain and say, oh, it's now. We should, as Christians shouldn't be freaking out every time we see something else on the TV. It's God who's in control, guys. And as the birth pains grow, as they get closer together, as they are stronger, sure, we're nearing the end. But when people say, well, how much worse can it get? We need to stop and say, no human being knows, only my God. No man knows the day nor the hour but God Almighty. So in the meantime, rather than putting my head in the sand and eating gruel and all this other stuff, I need to get out there and share the gospel. I need to get out there and tell others about my testimony. Well, pastor, how can you share God when you see this tsunami over here and there's war over here? Even more so to share the gospel because if you're worried about being washed away or, or shot in this battle of this war, then you better know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's not for us to be afraid. He clearly lays it out there. That just is the coming of that time. That the end is drawing nigh. Now what about camp three? The ready and waiting camp. In Matthew 24, in fact, look at in 14. In verse 14, it says, This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Those that are in the third camp should know that the real sign of Jesus' coming isn't the wars and the rumors of wars. It isn't the, the tsunamis and the earthquakes. The real sign is when the gospel has reached the whole world. When the gospel is preached to everyone, this camp, the camp that's ready and waiting, is a camp that, it, that is going to be focused on telling the gospel to as many people as it possibly can so that there's as many salvations as there possibly can be. Why? Because we know God said he's delaying his timing, not because of wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and tsunamis. He's delaying it so everyone has the opportunity to come to know Christ. The more we share the gospel, the more we get out and interact with people and break out of our church walls and share the Christ that Christ has shared with us, the more we tell others about Jesus, the closer the world's going to come to that day because it's when the gospel goes out that he comes in. The camp that, 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 that is ready and waiting is the camp that's focusing on telling the gospel so that other people can join the same camp. When the gospel has gone to the world, that's when I can say he's coming soon. Praise God. This, this camp chooses to focus on godliness not the pain and the strife and the strugglings of this world, of the finances, of the wars, of, the, of, of, of hurricanes and tornadoes. And it chooses not. The people of this camp, yes, those things are important. Yes, we need to help people when they're in the midst of those things. 
But the people of this camp aren't going to focus on the bad as much as they're going to focus on God. And they're going to say, God, what would you have me to do? You see, Camp 3, that ready and waiting camp, focuses on books like Luke 21, 2 Peter chapter 3, Matthew 24. They strive to live a life of godliness. They strive to live a life that's pleasing to God. Not trying to protect themselves, not trying to get themselves into glory, not trying to, 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 to better their eternity by their own means. They're going to look to God and say, God, I want to please you. What would you have me to do? How would you have me share the gospel into the world? How would you have me to seek out the lost? Now, I'm not going to read all of Luke 21 to you this morning, but I would pray that when you leave here today, go home, read Luke 21. I want to encourage you to do that because if you are a member of Camp 3, the waiting and, and, and ready camp, the ready and waiting camp, then I think you need to understand what Luke 21 says. But I am going to touch a few verses here. In Luke 21 verse 9, it tells us that the people that are in this camp, the ready and waiting camp, they don't fear because they trust God. No matter how close to the end times I believe that we are getting, I don't have to live in a constant state of fear. As it says in Luke 21, 9, you can write these verses down or go read the whole chapter. But I don't have to live in a constant state of fear because I know who's in control and it's not me. It's God. I can't stop an earthquake. You can't stop a tsunami. And more than likely, if there's wars and rumors of wars, you probably can't stop those either. So why get so worked up and worried about what you have no control over and just put your faith in Christ and say, God, it's yours, it's in your hands, what would you have me to do? Your life will be so much more productive and so much more peaceful and so much less stressful when we let God worry about the big stuff and say, God, what would you have me to do? In Luke 21, 14, it goes on and says that they see these trials as an opportunity to testify about God. If we want to be a part of the ready and waiting camp, then when I see the wars and the rumors of wars and the tsunamis and the earthquakes and all these things, I shouldn't run and hide. I should be getting out there and say, thus saith the Lord. The time is drawing near. Not tomorrow, not today. I don't know when the day is, but the time is drawing near. And let me tell you about what my God's done for me. I don't have to be afraid of those rumors of wars and such because as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, when the king said, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace, they said, you can't do anything that my God does not allow you to do. If you throw me in there and I die, so be it. As Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. If you throw me in there and I live, guess what? That was God too. Either way, king, you can't do anything that my God doesn't allow. If I am a part of the ready and waiting camp, then it doesn't matter that there's wars, rumors of wars, tsunamis, earthquakes, and all the other stuff. I am in the hands of a king, and whether I live or I die is his doings, not mine. Each one of us, praise God, if each one of us, if we want to be in that camp, then we need to understand it's he that's in control, and it's he that's given me the opportunity to testify of his power. In Luke 21, 14 and 15, it says that they rely on God to give them their defense. I don't have to fight. I don't have to fight. Because my God said, if I be for you, who dares be against you? All I am called to do is testify about the grace of an almighty God. And if the end is drawing near, how much more I can use it to testify about an almighty God. Because you see in verse 16 and 18 of Luke 21, it says they have an eternal perspective. In other words, this camp realizes that, that they are going to die. That they may die. 
but that death is only temporary, for my God has already bought eternal glory for me. So regardless of whether I get caught up in a tsunami, an earthquake, a war, a rumor of war, whatever it may be, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with God, I have an eternal plan set in order for me. I don't have to, to say it's uh, all hogwash. I don't have to live in a freak out camp always being scared of when the time is coming drawing nigh or are they building the temple in Jerusalem yet. I don't have to worry about those things. I can put them all in the hands of God and say my eternity has been bought and paid for on the cross of Calvary because I know that he shed his blood. He that knew no sin became my sin so that I can have freedom and glory and today I will look to him and say God what would you have me to do? Yes there's another earthquake over there. Yes, there's a tsunami coming over there. And yes, there's a war over there and a rumor of war behind me. But God, you're God around all of it. Where would you have me to go? If we are in this ready and waiting camp, we are reading the scriptures. We are putting our faith in Christ and saying, God, let me be your testimony. Where would you have me to go? Because you see, God has protected you for eternity. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then your eternity is set already. Your eternity has already been laid down. In Luke 21, 19, it says that they are filled with patience because it's not about all the, the conspiracies and the nasty that's going on around them. They know that when the gospel has been preached to the world, Jesus is coming. Therefore, they choose to be ready all the time. And they choose to be patient. Why? Because they know that God's timing is best. I can jump on every news report and say, see, I'm getting closer. There are people who have lived their whole lives chasing numerology and trying to prove or pinpoint when God is coming again. There are people who have written books on, well, this has happened, this has happened, this has happened. That means this has to happen in the next week to a month or maybe this year or maybe 10 years down the road. My Jesus said, only God knows the day or the hour. Why would I want to waste my time chasing that stuff when I can be sharing the gospel? So, these people who live in this camp, they believe that Jesus is coming again. So they're not in this one. These people believe, but they're not always running around freaking out at every calamity that transpires around them. So they're not in this camp. They put their faith in God, which means they're in this camp, which is the Word of God. And by being in the word of God and in the blood of Christ, they go forth and proclaim the gospel. In Luke 21, 34 through 38, 30, 34 through 36, when you're reading about those that are in that camp, it says they keep close contact with God so they won't fall into those other two traps. They get on their knees and they pray. And they are going to be ready when Jesus comes. So folks... As men and women of Christ, what does that mean? What, what should we be doing? First of all, make sure that you're connected to Jesus. Make sure you're connected to Jesus and then that you're living in a state of preparedness. Now, what is that state of preparedness? It means that you have sought out his face and, and, and begged for his forgiveness and direction in your life on a daily basis. On a daily basis, I should get up and say, this is a day the Lord hath made. I choose to rejoice and be glad in it. Father, who hallowed and who arts in heaven, 
how would be thy name? What is it that you would have for me to do this day? Not worry about this, that, and the other. God, what is it you would have me to do this day? Not my spouse, not my pastor, not my deacon. God, what is it that you would have me to do this day? Because you chose to spend, to, to spend, spend your blood on the cross of Calvary so that my eternity has been set that I can spend glory with you for all eternity. Because you have paid that price for me, the least I can do for you is not run and hide and stick my head in the sand, but go out and proclaim your righteousness. God, where and how and what would you have me to do this day? That's the ready and waiting camp. That's the Christian who is going to stand with his head high and his chest out, not with self-righteousness and self-arrogance, but because I know where my eternity's been set. When the sounds of battle rage around me, I can stand firm because I know my captain, my colonel, my general, my lord, my savior. I know who stands before me. And because I know who stands before me, I can stand strong behind him, regardless of the noise around me. That's the army that God has called us to be. That's the Christian soldier that we sing about in Vacation Bible School and such to go onward. When we have put our faith not in our own understanding, but in His. So the first thing is men and women of Christ, we should make sure we know Him as our Lord. Seek His face and His direction and His forgiveness on a daily basis. And the second thing is to go out and hasten to share the gospel. With our family members, with our, our co-workers, with our school teachers, whomever it may be. If we're really thinking that the time is drawing near, how much louder should we be sharing the gospel? Because that's when he said the time has come, when all have heard. If we really want his return, and if you notice in 2 Peter chapter 3, it said that we should long for it. We should desire the second coming of Christ to come. If we truly desire it and long for it and want it to come, then we should be about our part of sharing the gospel into the world. It's not just the preacher's job. Yes, God has given me a big mouth and a loud voice. But he's given you the, the, the finesse and the eloquence that I may not have. I have never professed to be an eloquent speaker. I've never professed to be very good with handling people's emotions and such. But my God may have made you that person. He, and you say, but I'm not a pastor. Every one of us has accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, has been made a saint. And through the sainthood of His blood, I can go forth and share the gospel. Every one of us. So the question this morning is what camp are you in? Are you in that hogwash camp that thought, well, if God hasn't come yet, why would He come now? I would share with you to look at the history of this planet. Look at the things around you. Get with someone and let them explain to you who God is. And don't say, well, he hasn't come already. What is the, look at all this time. Time means nothing to my God. If you know him, but you're in that freak out camp where every new news story gets you on edge and start bouncing off the walls of your house, like a little pinball, pretty soon you're gonna fall in a hole back there with somebody to pull the plunger on you. I'm aging myself. Pinball is a game we used to play. Amen. Or are you wanting to be in that third camp that it says, here I am, Lord, send me. That's your choice today. What camp are you in? If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus for whatever the reason may be. Maybe because of one of these camps and maybe that you've never actually heard it. 
presented to you before, or maybe you've just been obstinate and chose not to accept him. Whatever the reason may be, you can change that today. You want to be in that third camp? The great thing is, he said, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man opens up, I shall come in and fellowship with him, dine with him. Anyone, anyone who believes that he is the son of God, he says, rose again on the third day, professes with their mouth, believes in their heart that he is the son of God, so shall they be saved. That includes you, that includes me, that includes everyone in this room. You have the opportunity. He desires that none should perish. No, not one. If you perish, if you choose an eternity separated from God, it wasn't God's doing, it was yours. If you're here this morning, or maybe you're listening by video, by YouTube, whatever, if you don't know Jesus, get on your knees right now. Come to this cross and accept him as your Lord and Savior. Then tell somebody. He who professes me before men, so shall I profess before my Father. If you're here today and you've been part of that freak out camp, praise God, you can just turn it all over to Jesus right now. Turn it over to him. Say, Father, I've been scared and bouncing around on my own, but in reality I now see you are my great protector. I want to put on the armor of, of faith. I want to go to Ephesians 6 and, and put on the the armor as you have called me to do. I want to place a helmet of salvation on my head and proudly go forth proclaiming the gospel as I've shod my feet with it. Where are you this morning? If you're already in that ready and waiting camp, hallelujah. Start praying for those who are bouncing amongst the other two. And let's get where God would have us to be. I ask us all to stand. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. This altar is open. I want you to pray, though. What camp are you in? And what camp do you desire to be in? Because the choice is not God's as much as it's yours. It's your decision. You know, we're going to leave here in a little bit, and we're going to go to a staff meeting, and we got a day planned out and all that. But now all that means nothing if you don't know Christ. But we don't know the day or the hour or the next breath. But we do know that Jesus is the Son of God who died for our, our sins. He that knew no sin became my sin so that I may have eternity and glory. Do you know him like I do? That's the question. Father God, I just come before you this morning. And as those passages of Scripture have been misinterpreted and twisted in so many different directions, I pray today that we will focus on you, that we'll put our faith in you, and pray that your will be done. If there's someone here today that has not surrendered their heart to you, for whatever the reason may be, I pray today that will change. Give us strength. Give us courage. Give us the wherewithal to go forth and proclaim the gospel. And when that second coming, when you split that eastern sky, Lord, and that sound goes forth that everyone hears, when that happens where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, may we be able to say we had already done so and we confessed you as Lord and Savior. 
Father, may thy will be done in the hearts of your people this day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. They're going to lead us in song. If God's telling you to sing, sing. He's telling you to come down to this altar, come down to this altar. He's telling you to get on your knees where you're at, get on your knees where you're at. But guys, let's not leave out of here being a part of Camp 1. Let's be a part of Camp 3, ready and waiting. As we sing, Chris.
friend Sherry Taggart back there. She'll close us in prayer this morning. Uh, you can pray for your afternoon. I can pray for Okay. Sure. Dear Father God, thank you so much for letting us join together as a family and to worship you and to exalt your name, Father. Help us all to remember that we're priesthood of believers and it is all our responsibility to share the gospel in love and truth. Please be with us the rest of the day and the rest of this week and the rest of our life so we can follow you in your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you.